It's Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Uh, We are continuing our sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount, and we've decided to take the Beatitudes one sermon at a time so that we can really dig into those and we can really be fed by what God has for us in those. And as we've looked at these Beatitudes, we've looked at blessed are the poor in spirit, We've looked at blessed are those who mourn over their sin and blessed are those who have a weak and gentle strength. What we've been seeing is that God um, has a desire to kind of tear us down and strip us down to nothing so that we can see his kingdom and we can participate in his kingdom. So we've said that the Beatitudes are actually all linked together and it's what a work of grace looks like in someone's life. And then as we look at the last three or four Beatitudes, what we'll see is how grace works through our lives. And so today is really the first beatitude that begins the outworking process of God's grace in our life where we talk about this hunger and this thirst for righteousness. Let me ask you this. Have you ever desired something and then when you got it, it was not as satisfying as you thought it would be? Anybody? You have. I can remember a time whenever I was a youth pastor in Indianapolis and I had this group of senior high boys. They got out of school early. One day they were seniors in high school. And we said, you know what? We're going to hit up Fogo de Chao today. That's what we're going to do for lunch. And so, I mean, these guys like, like fasted for a couple days so they could really get the most bang for the buck. I mean, here's what it looked like. It's a Brazilian steakhouse, really good food. We show up for lunch, and they're like showing us the salad bars. We go by, and the salad bar like looks awesome. And we're like resisting the salad bar because we don't want to waste the space. You know what I'm talking about? And so uh, they begin bringing the meat around. And there's this, little, there's this little card on your table. And one side is red, one side is green. And you flip it to the green side if you want the meat to keep coming. And that card never turned to the red side that day. It was just green all day long. And it was to the point where they even had this really good dessert that they came and offered us. And we were like, no, we would rather have meat for dessert. <laughs> I mean, it was just, so, so you're, you're getting the picture of what happened. And later that afternoon, guys, we were all so miserable. I think we were miserable for a couple of days because of the way that we had gorged ourselves and what we thought was going to be awesome turned into pure misery. If you are unsatisfied and miserable with your life, you are in a really good place this morning. You are in a very, very good place. Because here's the deal, we all seek uh, to be satisfied. We all seek to be happy, to be filled with joy. But I think our approach to that satisfaction and to that joy is what can be misdirected at times. I mean, here's what most of us are conditioned to think that happiness will stem from. And in the Beatitudes, when it speaks of blessedness, that's really another word for happy. Uh, Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, uh, for they shall be satisfied. I mean, I think about it like this. I mean, I like stuff. I mean, guys, if Jesus didn't get a hold of me, I would have so much credit card debt racked up because I love to buy stuff so much. Some of you are in the same boat as me. I mean, I like experience. I could be an, an idolater in about every imaginable way if Jesus doesn't restrain me. I, I love experiences. I'd be, you know, mountain climbing, you know, uh, bull riding. I mean, I would be motorcycle riding, concert going every single moment of every single day because I love experiences so much. But as many of you have experienced these amazing experiences in your life, you know one thing, they'll never satisfy you. Here's here's one truth that we can just kind of lay down today. 
Seeking happiness will never make you happy. That's That's one thing we can take to the bank today, that it will never, ever make us happy. God loves His people too much to let us be satisfied with anything other than Himself. We'll always be touching at the edges of joy and happiness as long as we seek things that are apart from God. And when we get them, we'll have buyer's remorse or buffet remorse, as me and my friends did. We'll always find ourselves in those places. But here's how the devil works. is As soon as we get past that, we'll go right after it again. We'll do the same things over and over and over again. And a man that knew this well was a man that lived 1,600 years ago. His, his name was uh, St. Augustine, and he, uh, St. Augustine of Hippo. And, and he wrote, um, he, he experienced this, uh, this time in his life where he didn't deny himself any experience, any pleasure. He just sought it with everything in and of himself. And then one day, he met Jesus. And some 10 years later, after he meets Jesus, he writes this. Uh, psychological autobiography called Confessions. Some of you have heard of it before. I want to read you a couple quotes out of Confessions that give light onto what I'm talking about. Augustine says this, I was in misery, and misery is the state of every soul overcome by friendship with mortal things and lacerated when they're lost. Then the soul becomes aware of the misery which is its actual condition even before it loses them. So what Augustine's saying is, hey, I was in misery and I didn't even know it because I was filling my life with things that would never satisfy me. And then he goes on to give probably his most famous quote out of the work, which is this, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. So my question to you is this, are you restless this morning? Are you restless this morning? Are you tired of seeking things, promotions at your job, relationships with others that never satisfy you? They always have these empty promises of what they will give you. If that is where you're at, you're in a good place this morning. If you're dissatisfied and you're frustrated with life. Because Jesus says that happiness comes through righteousness, not pleasure. That that if you want to be happy, seek First, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, as as the Sermon on the Mount will go on to say, and all of these things will be given to you. And so, we've got to answer this question today as we look at this. What does it mean to be righteous? And that's a word that we don't use much anymore. And I don't know why we don't use it, but we don't. Because the Bible uses it all of the time, so it would make sense that we would pick up the vocabulary of the Scriptures. But here's what I think simply righteousness is. Righteousness is being right with God through doing what God requires. It's simply being right with God. There's a relationship component. And then from the relationship flows behavior. So from belief, behavior flows. Happiness without righteousness leads to miserableness. And that's, that's where the, the, the thrust of the sermon is going to go today. That happiness without righteousness will always lead us to miserableness. So what I want to do is I want to just talk about Three realities that, that, that true happiness comes from. And the first one is this. Redirected appetites. So, you know, wh- when was the last time that you thought about the word righteous and what it means to be righteous in God's sight? When, when was the last time for you? Um, I think we hit at the edges of it whenever we say, I want to grow in godliness or I want to 
be a part of a community of people that love Jesus, or I want my life to look more like Jesus. But really what's at the bottom of that is that we want to be righteous. Every single one of us want to be declared righteous. And you know why I don't think we use the word righteous anymore? It's because in our hearts we don't think that we can ever become righteous. That's one of the greatest lies that the devil can ever tell you. Is that, that you can't be righteous. Now the reality is you can't be righteous on your own, but you can be righteous in Jesus. And whenever we mix those two up, we end up with this diluted form of righteousness that says, when my behavior is acceptable, then I can declare myself as righteous. And that's not righteousness at all. So, as, as we dig into this, I want you to reconsider what it means to be righteous. And, and I want to invite you to, to uh, re-invite that word into your vocabulary Not only as you look at yourself in light of who Jesus is, but also at your community. Because when we begin to see ourselves as God sees us through the work that He's done through Jesus, we begin to change. So the change that we desire comes from our position changing in Jesus through Him making us righteous. So to be righteous is to describe a fixed structure. A standing before God, a right relationship not a momentary behavioral breakthrough. Those are em- that's empty righteousness because we're seeking the behavior before we're seeking what Jesus wants to do in us. So what does it look like for us to pursue righteousness? Because every single one of us hungers and thirsts in life. As we've said in the other Beatitudes, Everyone hungers and thirsts, but not everyone is blessed in their hungering and their thirsting. So what we're looking at today is we're asking the question, how can I be blessed in my hunger and thirst, Jesus? And it comes through seeking His righteousness. Now, uh, you know, Jesus gives us the key to our pursuit of happiness in life, and it's this, that it must be funneled through the pursuit of righteousness. And Jacob and Esau, in Genesis 25 knew this reality very well. So let's open our Bibles up to Genesis chapter 25. We're going to look at verses 29 through 34. Now Jacob and Esau were brothers. Their dad was the miracle baby, Isaac. Now, here's what you might not know is that Esau was actually the older son. So whenever we recall the patriarchs of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what really sh- should have been if things would have played out the way that they were uh, you know, lined up to play out with the, the older son kind of taking the torch, it would have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Doesn't that sound way different? That, that changes everything. So let's listen to really some of the beginnings of that spiral happening here in Genesis 25. And it really has everything to do with appetite that... Uh, is, a, is very much a part of our lives as well. So let's look at it. Once, uh, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field. And, and Esau was exhausted. And, and Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew. For I'm exhausted. I'm starving, man. I, let me get some of that red stew. Jacob said, I think kind of jokingly here, sell me your birthright, bro. And I'll give you some of this stew. So Esau says, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? That is the key question right there. I'm about to die. 
What use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of soup. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate it and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now why does Esau despise his birthright? It's because he is so focused on the immediate fixations of his soul and his appetites, in this case a physical appetite of food, that he's willing to throw away everything that God has promised in the history of the world. I mean, think about Esau. He is one of the, the, the chosen sons that would send the gospel to the world, send God's promise that, that he'll be our God and we'll be his people to the world. And in that moment, and through the decisions of his life, he gave it all away. He gave it all away because of his misdirected appetite. So he thinks, what good is my birthright? What good is righteousness that he offers me today? I mean, I can't feel it. It's not going to do anything for me today. He has a, he has a misinformed view of what righteousness is and what the benefits are in being a part of the covenant of God. And, and I, here's where the application comes in. I think that we are very much prone to this idea of immediate gratification. To do what feels good. To crave the wrong things. And we are tempted to be blinded by our cravings and our desires that we can't see past ourselves that God might use us and bless us. So my question to you is this. Is there any appetite in your life right now that you would say, honestly, I'm, I'm kind of selling out my birthright right now. This, this reality that I can be, that I'm a, a son or a daughter of God, and there are privileges associated with that, to be an ambassador of His kingdom and to enjoy His grace, but I can't see past my appetite for X, Y, Z, whether it's materially, whether it's relationally, or whether you just are pursuing pleasure with every single fiber of your being. You're, you're just... You're a hedonist at heart. You're pursuing that with everything in you. What is it that you are prone to sell your birthright for? And, and I think all of us, if you can't answer that question now in your heart, that's okay. But I think the worst thing you can do is just forget about it. Because the devil knows good and well, and he is pushing in on you in those angles every single day of your life, whether you know it or not. So when you answer that question, write it down and remember it. So that when the, the tempter comes to tempt you and to allure you into his plan, you can resist the devil through faith. And, and he, as the promise goes, will flee from you. What consumes the quiet hours of your heart? What is it that you dream about that you wake up in the morning thinking about if it's not God? That, that's what it is that you'd be tempted to sell your birthright for. Whatever it is, it's not just affecting you. You're passing it on to, to, your, to your spouse if you're married. You're, you're passing it on to your friends. You're passing it on to your children, your coworkers. Every sphere of influence, you're passing whatever that is along. And Jesus wants to give us freedom in the midst of it by seeking first His righteousness and letting that filter our desires. Because as C.S. Lewis is getting ready to tell us from, uh, from his work, The Weight of Glory, you're tempted to think, if I could just neuter my, my appetite, if I could just get rid of my appetite, if I could just, the cravings would just go away, then maybe I'd be, 
a better follower of Jesus. Your appetite is not the problem. It's the object of your appetite that is the problem and your pathway to satisfaction. So listen to what C.S. Lewis says about this. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desire not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We are like ignorant children who want to continue making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So, so we think that our greatest problems are our desires. And really what Lewis says is that we're actually just, our, our greatest problem is that we're too easily satisfied. That God has made us for much more and often we settle for much less. And that when we pursue the righteousness of Christ and what He, what he requires and what He's made us for, that it sets our sights on so much more than we can see right in front of us. And it trains our appetites to pursue the things that will actually bring satisfaction in our lives. When we aim at any of these pursuits with the focus of satisfying ourselves, God is far too kind to let you be satisfied with anything other than Himself. And so, of course, He leaves you miserable after you've gorged yourself at the buffet, whatever the buffet may be for you. Because He's far too kind to let you enjoy that. Happiness is the byproduct of holiness. And when the Holy Spirit filters our passions, God does this extraordinary work through very ordinary people. So what's it look like for us to pursue the real promise that God has given us as we pursue righteousness and the benefits of satisfaction that comes around that? What does it look like for you today to deny the false promises of those little G gods that are all around you? Let's keep looking at this. Here's... Here's the, here's the reality. We have to receive righteousness before we can be righteous. There's a difference there. It's a nuanced difference there. It's really important. So why should righteousness concern us at all? Because without being declared right with God, get this, we are under the wrath of God. We're under His wrath. We don't talk enough about that, but it's really important to remember that. That that without receiving the righteousness of God, we are under the wrath of God and therefore can never please God. We can never be in a right relationship with God. And it doesn't matter how good of a person people say that you are or how good of a person that you think you are because without Jesus, you're under the wrath of God. And and I don't mean to to scare you today. Well, I kind of do. But because it's the kindest thing I can do to you, right? do for you if you're not in Jesus you are you are in a miserable place even though your life you may may have tricked yourself into believing that you're in a pleasant place you're in a miserable place because this is all there is for you but Jesus has given us another way God has given us another way by sending his son for us so there's there's two ways to become righteous in the Bible hypothetically speaking two ways to become righteous the first one is this to obey the law of God perfectly 
with our head, our heart, and our hands. Everything that we do is righteous and perfect in God's sight. So, uh, but what the law of God shows us, one of its functions is to show us that we can never live up to the standard. It's a mirror for us to see that we fall short. And, and we're so tempted sometimes to be disheartened by that reality. Guys, it is the greatest gift that God gives us to show you that you are not enough. It's a great gift that He gives to us. But still others who have received the love of Jesus, you've accepted Him, you're attempting to walk in faith in Him, our satisfaction in God wavers, does it not? It wavers. We, we, we waffle about and, and, and sometimes we're really satisfied in God and other times we're not. So, so why do we waffle about like that when Jesus has promised us that He'll give us His righteousness? Here, here's why I think that it, that, it, that, it, that it wavers like it does. Because our confidence in who Jesus is is more wrapped up in ourselves than we know. That, that it's really more based on our performance than we, we think that it is. Because if it wasn't based on our performance, we would always be really secure and confident in there. And so there's this, there's this mixture that dilutes the, 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 the potency of God's promise toward us. So, so we allow past actions and current slip-ups in sin to rob our satisfaction in Jesus. Is sin serious? Absolutely it's serious. It's absolutely serious. But if the wounds of your sin do not lead you to the great physician himself, it is not Jesus that is making you aware of your sin, but it is the devil. And he's trying to allure you, he's trying to lure you away from the promises of God that are yours. When God makes us aware of our sin, he leads us to the cross. He leads us to the, to the, to the well that never runs dry. He leads us to the bread that always fills us. Jesus Himself. So, so friends, whenever you are convicted of your sin, where are you led to? Are you led back to Jesus? Or are you led down some other road? Because Jesus is always going to give you Himself when, when you are convicted by the Spirit. So now let's turn to this true source of righteousness that God wants to give to us. Faith in received righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake, He made Him, meaning Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So, so God loves you so much. You need to hear this this morning. God loves you so much that He says you'll never be righteous on your own but I'm going to send in your place someone who will be righteous for you. And you have the opportunity by faith to be found righteous in Him. And, and, and this, this righteousness that He promises to us looks like this. It's this, this word justification. And, and the reality of it is this. That, that God sees you if you have the righteousness of Christ clothing you. God sees you not only just as if you'd never sinned. He sees you that way. But, all, but also as if you had always obeyed the whole law perfectly. That's who you are in Jesus. Now what kind of confidence does that give you when that's your reality? Nothing can, can steal that from you. Nothing can take that away from you. Because Jesus has risen from the dead and He's given you all of Himself for all of eternity to keep you and carry you on to completion. 
Now Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome where he describes this as well. And he says this. Uh, now, now this letter is to a church in Rome that's full of Gentile Christians. They're not Jewish. And so Paul is, is describing the hard-heartedness of the Jewish people for the promises of God in receiving Jesus' righteousness. Listen to what he says. Romans 10, 1-4. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, the Jews, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So hear hear what Paul is saying. He's saying that you cannot be righteous through obeying the law. Like there's, it doesn't matter how good you could possibly be. You can't be righteous. So that hunger and that thirst, that drive that, that, that pushes you on is to seek righteousness that, that you can't earn, but righteousness that you have to receive and then you live out of after that. And so there's these kind of two ways to look at righteousness. There's this passive righteousness that we have to receive that Martin Luther wrote about. And then there's this active righteousness that we begin to live out of as Jesus lives inside of us. This beatitude is speaking about active righteousness. The fact that you would hunger and thirst after the things that please God's heart because He lives inside of you. This is what the Christian pursues when he's come to the end of himself. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. This righteousness flows through our lives and it, and it looks like good works. I mean, Ephesians 2.10 says, uh, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You were created for good work in Jesus. Not to produce good work to earn status before God, but to live in light of what God has already given you. Because it says, you, you were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So as you come to faith in Jesus, your life looks more righteous because Jesus has charted the path for you to walk in righteously. He's, he's charted that for you. Romans 8, 1-4 through goes on to describe this a little bit more. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do in sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in you who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Did you hear that? The righteous requirement of the law, if you are in Jesus, is to be fulfilled in us, and it already is fulfilled in us. So I want you to think about righteousness like this. Like in Jesus Christ, you are already righteous. When you receive Him, He declares you righteous. You are also becoming righteous. Today, you are becoming more righteous because Jesus, His Spirit is molding you into the image of Jesus. And you will become more righteous in the future. 
Because sanctification, friends, is part of the process of us coming and being shaped in God's image. So, of course, you are not what you want to be. But in Jesus, you are not what you once were. You know what I'm saying? That's really good news. And Jesus is sovereign over the whole thing. He's the one that's shaping you. And it's all, it's all bound up in this idea of righteousness. That you... That, that He will fulfill the requirements of the righteousness that God requires in you. That's what He wants to do. And it's going, it's going to be a gift that you have to receive. And I think a lot of times we are like the person that gets a gift at Christmas time and they're like, oh, no, 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 you shouldn't have it. And they're like so stubborn that they won't even open the gift, right? They'll just kind of push it back. This is what we do with God's righteousness when He imputes or gives it to us. Is we, we try to stiff arm it and say, no, God, I got this. And what we find ourselves in is this flux of never really being sure of who we are in Jesus. Because it's so mixed with our earning of righteousness. So it flows through us as we walk in Him. But friends, if you are in Jesus, I want you to hear this. You are perfectly righteous in the sight of God today. If you are not in Him, you are under His wrath and you will get the full punishment of His wrath. But there is a way out. You have to receive Him. The last thing is this. Is that God gives us the gift of a perpetual hunger and thirst for righteousness. So, the perpetual hunger and thirst that, that you're always hungry is actually a really good thing. It's a really good thing because we, we keep seeking more of Jesus in life. So we, we do become disgusted in our flesh and we set it aside and we seek more of what God has to offer. And it's not the one who attains the appearance of righteousness that is blessed and satisfied, but it's, it's the one who hungers and thirsts. That's the blessed place. So are you hungry today? Are you hungry for more of God? If you are, you're in a really good place. You're in a really good place because Jesus somehow, some way, some shape, some form through His Spirit, satisfies us and keeps us hungry at the same time. That's what He does. Is he satisfies us where we don't have to earn our standing before God, but He still keeps us hungry for more and more and more. And that's the tension that we live in as Christians. And that's what, the way that God would have us to live. Do you know what keeps us from hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Unbelief. Unbelief. Our greatest problems are not centered around behavior, but they are centered around belief because behavior always leads to belief. Belief always leads to behavior, rather. So we change our thinking and the object of our faith, behavior follows it. Now, we are tempted to think that behavior funneled through a strict set of laws and rules will lead to belief. It's not the case. Jesus turns the whole thing upside down. I want, I want you to think about Acts chapter 10. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. I'm going to kind of storytell it because we're running a little short on time here. But there's this story, this narrative about the Apostle Peter. Now, the Apostle Peter has been charged to take the gospel to the, to the Gentiles. Now, in this process, you've got to understand that this is a really big step in the history of the church. That it would not be just for one race of people, but it would go to all nations. Now Peter 
We know Peter from the Scriptures. Sometimes he kind of stumbles around. He's kind of goofy and he says things when he shouldn't, kind of like we do. But he's God's beloved Son. And he is the vessel that God chooses to send the Gospel forth to the Gentiles. And in doing this, he, he goes up on the roof one day <laughs> to pray and he kind of falls into a trance or you know, we could say takes a nap. <laughs> and he has this vision. And it's this vision of this sheet dropping down and having all these different types of animals in it. And Jesus saying to him in the vision, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, what you have to know about that is, is that there are certain foods that Jews were not permitted to eat. And this, this net, this sheet was filled with all types of animals. So we see God is expanding the nature of his covenant promise into who it will apply to. So he's expanding this, and Peter, God says this to Peter three times. Peter has a thing with threes. So God says this to Peter three times, and he still walks away in perplexity and unbelief from that occurrence. He finds it so difficult to believe that God could call something clean that had been forever unclean in his mind. Now, this, this is the issue for us. That, that Peter could not believe that the Gentiles and their lifestyles and their eating habits could possibly be clean. In the same way, many of us in this room do not believe that we are clean and righteous in the sight of God. We, we, don't, we don't believe that. We, we don't think there's any way that we could receive righteousness and be considered righteous without us doing a thing. And that is the thing that will keep you from thirsting and hungering after the righteousness of God. Because you'll always be hungering and thirsting after righteousness for God. And when you're hungering and thirsting that way without receiving righteousness, you can never really be righteous. Because you're stuck in this tension of thinking that you have something to bring to the table and you've got nothing. You've got nothing. And this is a great place for us all to be. We must actually believe that we are declared righteous in God's sight. And that's where our hunger and our thirst for growing in God and receiving more of Him is channeled in the most healthy way. That's what will change your life. Another Bible study, a discipleship group, a service project, another good deed will never change you unless it comes from the attitude and heart of receiving righteousness and then pursuing righteousness. That's, that's the really good news that, that I have for you today, that God has for you today. So I want to close with this quote from, uh, from an, an actor. His name's Dwayne Johnson. If you're a wrestling fan, he's known as The Rock, right? I mean... Maybe, okay, I'm showing my flesh here, sorry. Uh, he says this, it's really, really good, very spiritual in nature. I'll never, ever be full. I'll always be hungry. Obviously, I'm not talking about food. Growing up, he says, I had nothing for such a long time. And someone told me a long time ago, and I've never forgotten it, once you've ever been hungry, I mean really, really hungry, then you'll never, ever be full.
Friends, the work of Jesus in your life will leave you satisfied yet hungry. Whenever we try to earn our own righteousness, we'll find ourselves satisfied and not hungry. And that's a sign that something's gone deeply wrong in us. Jesus wants to give you the security that you are righteous in his sight. You're righteous. If you're in Jesus, you are righteous today. And that's the best news that I have for you. Let's pray together. Father, we, we, uh, we confess this morning that, that we fumble around making mud pies in the slums a lot of our lives. That, that that is our MO. And that we really struggle, especially as Americans, to believe that we could receive such a great gift of grace that it would save us just through faith. Jesus, give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that flows from a standing before you of being declared right in your sight as if we had never sinned and we'd always obeyed perfectly. That is who we are because that is what you require and that is how good the work of Jesus is. God, would you pierce our hearts today? Father, I pray for those in here that are not yet believers of Jesus, who've not yet surrendered themselves. God, I pray that you would disturb them in such a way that they would turn to you today. Would you meet us, Jesus? See your name we pray. Amen.